Good to see you this morning. I like that song, Tyrone. Thanks for thanks for leading that one. Um, good to see you on a first Sunday of 2018. I trust that you had a great holiday season and looking forward to a great year coming up. I want to start this morning with a story, and uh, this one's for Dan. Uh, new elementary school was raising the American flag for the very first time, and they thought to make the day very special, they'd invite a, a Marine Corps color guard to come perform <laughs> that task for them. And the day before the ceremony, the officer in charge called the school to make sure that he had the time and the place correct. And as he was talking to the, church, or the school secretary, um, the secretary toward the end of the conversation said, um, Sir, you are going to send Marines who like children, right? And there was a pause, and then the officer repeated back, or said back to her, Ma'am, if I tell them to like children, they'll like children. <laughs> you know, there's a big difference between being forced to do something and being excited about doing something, isn't there? I mean, there, there's, there's a big difference between feeling like I'm going through the motions and really being passionate about what I'm doing. And I think we find that on a spiritual level as well. Now, I don't want to just show up at church and go through the motions. I don't want to sing because we always sing. I don't want to pray because I feel like I have to. I don't want to you know, spend time in the Word because someone told me that you know, that's what Christians do. I don't want to just check off a list and... and be thinking to myself, you know, I've, I've got to study more, brand new year, resolution, resolutions, I've got to pray more, I've got to be more faithful in my attendance, I've, I've got to give more, I've, I, I know I need to do more, you know, be involved. I don't really want to do more, I want to be more, don't you? I mean, yeah, I want to pray, because it draws me so close to God, why wouldn't I want to do that? I want to spend time in the Word. Because it's where I learn about the heart of God. Why wouldn't I want to spend more time doing that? I want to worship with you because I love worshiping with you. I love worshiping God. Now, I, I, want to, I want to treat people the way God wants me to treat people because I get to love the people that God loves. And I know you know all this, that God wants our heart. Today's first Sunday, 2018. As you see, the title to today's lesson is, is Meant for More. And as Christians, I am convinced that we are meant for more. Regardless of where you are in your Christian walk, I am convinced that you are meant for more. Now, maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a long, long time. New Year's resolution, I'm going to church. So far, so good. You're meant for more. Maybe you've been here every time the doors have opened for the past 50 years. I mean, you have the entire New Testament memorized. In Greek. <laughs> Listen, you are meant for more. Your family is meant for more. Your marriage, meant for more. Your influence, meant for more. Your relationships, they're meant for more. Okay, more what? <laughs> That's a great slide, but meant for more what? More joy. More excitement. More passion. Uh, when it gets right down to it, more Jesus. You're, you're meant for more Jesus. Whatever part Jesus plays in your life right now, it's not enough. He deserves and He demands a bigger part. God wants us to realize this isn't it. Think more. Think bigger. 
think better. And by the way, the whole idea of meant for more, it's not my uh, concept, it's God's concept. We all know this verse, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that's at work within us. This morning we are beginning a, a sermon series that I'm really excited about. We're going to be talking about spiritual growth. We're going to be talking about more. What does that look like? What does that mean? How does that play out realistically in my day-to-day life? And I want to start with a pretty basic uh, foundation this morning. In fact, I want to start with two of the most foundational points of Christianity. And you've heard me share these two points before. They're, They're pretty important, to me at least. There is a God, and it's not you. Dave actually mentioned that in, in his Wednesday night class a couple weeks ago. There is a God, and it's not you. And what that statement means is your life is not your project. Whose project do you think your life is? Your life is God's project. It was His idea. And that's important to wrap your mind around. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He's planned for us long ago. And what that verse tells us is that that we are God's masterpiece. And what that verse tells us is that really only God fully understands what we are intended to be. And only God really understands what uh, what what our life should and can look like. And every once in a while... Every now and then, you'll do something, you'll do something good, and you'll get a little bit of a glimpse of what you were created to be. You'll encourage someone at work, you'll say something, and it'll be really encouraging, and it'll help them through their day. You will um, have patience with a three-year-old, or a 93-year-old. You'll help someone who nobody else seems to notice. You'll fall in love. You'll have an idea. You stand up to a bully that that nobody's willing to stand up to. You say something that you normally wouldn't say and it turns out to be just the right thing to say at the right time. Or you don't say something that you normally would say and it turns out to be just the right time to keep your mouth closed. You're getting a glimpse of why God made you. You're getting a glimpse of, of what God was up to. Because God wants the best version of you possible. He wants you to reach your full potential. Not just so we can be used by Him, but so we can be filled with His Spirit. Pretty often I take out my phone, I'm sure you do as well, and the screen will say, updates are available. And I think to myself, why do I want an update? My phone is working fine. There's nothing wrong with my phone. It's doing everything I want it to do. Why should I bother updating my phone? And of course, the reason why I should bother updating my phone is because in my case, the Apple Corporation knows about more about my phone than I do. And the Apple Corporation knows if I don't put these updates, you know, keep up with them, my phone's not going to do everything it was made to do. And there are going to be tasks coming up. You know, technology is always changing. There's going to be things that my phone isn't going to be able to do unless I provide it with this update, unless I go ahead and you know, keep it updated. 
What God intends for our lives is the best possible version of our lives. God looks at us and He wants us to know, listen, updates are available. Okay? God calls them updates, or I mean, Apple calls them updates. God calls it transformation. God says transformation is available. I want the very best version of you. And by the way, this is kind of a neat thing. The very best version of you isn't going to look like anybody else. Here's something that I think sometimes we miss. And this, is, I think, is a true statement. God is much more concerned with you reaching your full potential as a human being than you are. God's more concerned about that than you are. That's just a fact. You know, it's very important to God that we keep growing, that we keep maturing. And He is very much a part of that process. He's got a lot of tools at His disposal, and He's not afraid to use them. He is incredibly patient, which sometimes is a little bit frustrating. Um, and He's relentless. He's just relentless in wanting the very best for us. And one of the most profound statements that I have ever come across uh, concerning the human condition, I heard when I was very, very young. I heard it often when I was very, very young. Anybody in here familiar with Popeye the Sailor Man? Yeah. All of us old, old guys and old girls, we remember Popeye the Sailor Man, right? Popeye wasn't a real educated guy. Popeye wasn't exactly a sophisticated guy. He had a girlfriend. You remember his girlfriend, Olive Oil? Remember her? Not what you would call a beautiful girlfriend. But Popeye had a lot of disappointments in his life. Quite often he was disappointed, discouraged, frustrated. And he had a favorite saying that he would say pretty often. I'm not sure if you remember it or not, but Popeye would say, I am what I am. Over and over again, Popeye would say, nyuck, 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 I am what I am. One of his favorite sayings. And what he's saying is, hey, I'm nobody special. I'm just an ordinary sailor man. You know, I'm not sophisticated. I'm not educated. Don't get your hopes up. I am what I am. And I ain't what I ain't. And for so many people, that's the human condition. Now, I'm grateful to be here. I'm happy to be alive. But I know I'm not what I'm meant to be. I, I know I'm not living the life that, that God kind of has envisioned for me. No. I am what I am. I told you that there is a God and it's not you. One of the great things about that truth is the fact that the God who is, is in the transformation business. That's what He does. And God says, yes, you are what you are, but you don't have to stay what you are. In fact, I don't want you to stay what you are and who you are. Think back to a pretty famous Old Testament story. A guy by the name of Moses walking through the wilderness one day and he sees a bush that's burning, it's not being consumed. He walks over to see what's going on and God speaks to him from the bush. And God says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen their misery. I am sending you back to Egypt to lead my people out of uh, slavery. I want you to face down Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And I want you to demand that he let my people go. And if you remember... Moses immediately comes up with a list of objections 
as to why he can't possibly be the guy to do what God is asking him to do. And he starts by saying, you know, who am I? I mean, come on, God, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm a fugitive. I, I killed an Egyptian. I'm living as a, as a shepherd here in the wilderness. I don't have the talents to do what you're asking me to do. I'm slow of tongue. I'm, I'm slow of speech. No, God, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up when it comes to me. I am what I am. And God tells Moses, listen, I know all about your inadequacies. I know all about your hang-ups. I know all about your problems. I know all about your past. And yes, you am what you am, but you am not going to be what you am going to be. Sort of what God said. God said, listen, Moses, I saw you when you were a baby in the reeds. I saw you when you were you know, a shepherd in, in Midian. And the difference now is, I'm going to be with you. When you go to Pharaoh, you're not going to be going alone. I'm going to be with you. And if you know the story, and I know you do, it's in Exodus chapter 3, Moses comes up with one more objection to God. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. You thought Popeye said that first, right? I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am the God who wants to be known. I am the God who saw the misery of my people when nobody thought I was looking. I am the God who heard the cries of my people when nobody thought I was listening. And now I am the God who is right here, Moses. I'm right here with you. Moses, go ahead. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up, Moses. I am here. And this God, the, the, the I am who I am, the, the self-sufficient, self-sustaining, all-powerful, creative, redemptive God, the great I am, led Moses and, and, and his people to this, this wonderful uh, transformation uh, journey. Now, he, he leads them out of Egypt. He gives his people the Ten Commandments. Tells them how he wants them to live. Gives them the Torah. Tells them how he wants them to, to, to conduct their lives. They're given a, a way to worship. They're given a place to worship. God sends prophets to talk to his people. They never had anything like that before. These prophets speak on behalf of God and they tell God's people what they need to do, how they need to treat other people, about the relationship with the Lord, how they need to uh, pay attention to the Word of God. God gave all these things to his people, but still, things were kind of a mess on the earth. And things were still not so great. The kingdom hadn't come yet. And then one day, just the right day, just the right time, when the right time came, God sent someone that was teaching a whole different message. That was trying to show people a different way to live their life. Trying to show people and tell people what life in the kingdom was really going to look like. A life under God's reign and in God's presence. A life taught God's favor and God's power. And he taught that that life's possible for everybody. Jews and Gentiles. Rich people, poor people. Slaves, free people. Men, women, didn't matter. 
This wonderful life was available to everyone. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. You know, he's kind of the, the central figure, the, the only figure here in this redemptive story. And you remember that one day Jesus is talking to some, some Jewish individuals. It's in John chapter 8. And Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus makes that statement and he gets their attention for two reasons. One, he's just mentioned Abraham. When you mentioned Abraham, you got people's attention. And more importantly, he's suggesting some kind of a relationship between himself and Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? And then comes one of the most dramatic statements that Jesus makes anywhere in the New Testament. We don't think of it as that dramatic, mainly because we don't know the old law like they did. But what Jesus tells them is really a dramatic, powerful statement. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, he had their attention now. Interesting choice of words. Notice Jesus doesn't say, before Abraham was born, I was. He didn't say, before Abraham was born, I was here, I was around. He didn't say, before Abraham was born, I was existed. You know, I, I know what's going on. He's very intentional about his choice of words. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. Why did he choose that phrase? Well, those Jews knew why he chose that phrase. He was claiming God had come down. He was claiming, I am God. He was claiming divinity. He was claiming that it was time to get your hopes up. That there's going to be more. And that he was the one to deliver the more. Now the text tells us that after he made this claim, they picked up stones in order to stone him, to kill him. They wanted him dead because he claimed to be God. Eventually they succeeded. But there was a group of people, small group at first, but there was a group of people who were convinced that this man, his life, his teachings, his death on the cross, his, his resurrection, a group of people who were convinced this guy Jesus, he's redefining what's possible for us. He's redefining what we were created to be. Inspired men wrote down the words of Jesus. And then inspired men wrote letters to, to churches and to other individuals to talk about what this life in Christ would actually look like and what we might be able to expect. And over and over again, they keep talking about more. I mean, more is full, uh, the, is everywhere in, in the New Testament. Let me throw some scriptures at you. They're really powerful when you put them together kind of with the context of transformation. Um, for instance, Jesus himself says in John 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Believe in me and from your core, streams of living water are going to flow. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, by the way. Then he says in, in chapter 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. He goes on to say a couple chapters later, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. 
I'm leaving you peace. No strings attached. No conditions. No one can take it from you. You look at every single book in the New Testament and you see this amazing picture of an amazing life that Christ is offering us. Peter will say this in, in 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter's saying because of Jesus, you are filled. He's writing to people like you and me, by the way. You are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. He'll say later on, now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Come on, you guys, love one another deeply from your heart. And listen, he says they're actually doing it. He says you, you, you're doing it. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, ridding themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Peter says you are humbling yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Now you think about those verses that I just ran through. How many of you would say, oh, those verses describe me to a T. That is me. I am filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy all the time. I mean, people look at me and they can just see streams of living water flowing from my core. I, I have got humility figured out. I have gotten rid of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. That's, that's slander. That's me. That's just me. Not so much, probably, right? Now, here's what I think happens a lot of the time. People hear the gospel. They hear the good news of Jesus. And they start to understand what it is that Jesus offers. And they say, yeah, count me in. That's exactly what I want. I want that inexpressible joy. That's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of life I long for. Of course, yes, count me in. And maybe you have this you know, kind of a honeymoon period. Maybe some of you are in that right now. You find yourself just drawn to Scripture. I mean, you're just picking up your Bible all the time. It's so fascinating and interesting and powerful. You find yourself drawn to worship. You love just coming to church and being around your brothers and sisters. And, you know, maybe some things happen. Maybe you clean up some coarse language or you start to get a handle on some destructive habits that you've had or you start to kind of get involved in, you know, doing some good works of service. But after a while, that seems to sort of slow down. And the whole thing gets sort of stale almost. And instead of your life looking like this amazing picture that we read about in the New Testament, your life kind of goes back to looking like this. You're yelling at your kids all the time again. You're taking advantage of your spouse again. You know, you're jealous about people who have more than you do. You worry too much about your job. You worry about your finances. You're jealous of people who are thin and handsome, good-looking. You use deception to get ahead. You, you pass judgment on other people. And you just sort of shake your head and say, I am what I am. And maybe that's the reality of your life. I am what I am. And then you hear words from Scripture like 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. All things have become new. And instead of being really excited about that, and instead of being really encouraged by that, it's almost 
depressing. Because you realize that's not who I am right now. All things haven't become new. That's, that's not what I'm experiencing right now. now. My life falls far short of living with that inexpressible joy. And I don't feel like I'm living that abundant life. And you realize there's a gap. There's a gap between the life that I'm living and the life that intellectually I know God wants me to live. Because, come on, you're smart. You've been in church a long time. You know the life that God has promised. You know the life that all us Christians talk about all the time. But when you put your head on your pillow, you realize, man, there's a gap here. So how am I going to deal with the gap? How am I going to close that gap? Some people look at the gap and say, I can close the gap just by working harder. I got to be a better Christian. I got to do more. I mean, I overachieve at everything else in my life. I'll just overachieve at being a Christian as well. I'll get up earlier. I'll pray longer. I'll read more books. I'll listen to more podcasts. I'll work harder to be nicer. I'm just, I'm just going to will myself to do it. We were talking about this in uh, uh, Bible class a couple weeks ago, and Renee DeBose made this comment. Say, you know, you hear people say, "Well, I get up at 4 a.m. to read my Bible," and so you decide, "I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. to read my Bible too," even though you might not be a morning person. Even though at 4 a.m. you're kind of dazed and confused, you're kind of grumpy at 4 a.m. Nobody wants to be around you at 4 a.m. Jesus probably doesn't want to be around you at 4 a.m. We say, well, he gets up at 4 a.m., so I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. and I'm going to start, you know, reading my Bible and praying. And you do it, and you think, man, this is horrible. <laughs> this is hard. This is kind of ruining my day. You know, I'm tired, and man, it's just—it's not helping me. But it must be spiritual, right? So you do it for a while, but you know you can't sustain that because you're not a morning person. That's not—that's not you. So eventually, you quit. And then you feel guilty that you quit. So you look for something else. Like, I'm going to jump into that and work harder at this. And you get into this cycle of stopping and starting, effort and exhaustion and frustration. And you just get tired. And it's just exhausting. And maybe not physically, but, but maybe your soul is just tired. Well, some people look at the gap and they say, I'll just handle it by pretending. You know, the whole, I'm going to fake it till I make it. And you look at those people and it's like, wow, their life is amazing. I mean, their life is like a miracle a minute. God answers all of their prayers. Um, their marriage is the best ever. Their kids are the smartest in the world. I mean, they're, they're amazing. Every sentence of theirs ends with, praise the Lord. They know all the buzzwords, you know, of, uh, of the, the, uh, we Christians use, and they, and they use them. It's like, you know, my life is just great. But when they put their heads on the pillow at night, they realize, no, it's not. You know, there's this gap. There's this gap between where God wants me to be and where I know that I really am. Well, some people deal with the gap just by saying, I give up. I quit. After a while, it is just too painful. They look at some of the scriptures that we just looked at this morning, and again, they feel kind of discouraged, almost hopeless. 
And inwardly, they sort of resign themselves to the fact that that's never going to be me. That's never going to be my life. I am not meant for more. You know, they'll keep coming to church, and they'll be somewhat involved in, in church things, and they sure hope they go to heaven when they die. But they decide that there's really nothing that's going to change in my life. It hasn't yet, and it's not going to now. And they just sort of give up. They give up on any kind of growth. They give up on any kind of transformation. The question for this sermon, really the, the question for this series is this. What if? What if Jesus really did know what he was talking about? What if Jesus really knew what he was talking about? What if there is another way? What if it really is possible for me personally to experience more? To be increasingly alive with passion and, and joy and peace and maturity? What if I really could close that gap and it didn't really depend on me? Let me share with you a couple more verses. And they're all going to speak to this reality of the fact that someone's at work in your life. Someone's at work in your life, and it's not necessarily you. Philippians 1, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. A couple verses later, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When Jesus was calling some of his disciples to follow him, he said, come Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now these guys that he's calling in Mark chapter 1, they were already fishermen, which means they've already flunked out of rabbi school, which means they've already missed their chance at being someone important. You know, Peter calls, or Jesus calls Peter and Andrew, and their response is sort of, hey, you know, I am what I am. I'm just a fisherman. Don't get your hopes up, Jesus. Jesus shows up and says, Well, you get your hopes up, because I'm here, and you're meant for more. Go back to Popeye for just a minute. Now, Popeye knew all about his hang-ups, didn't he? He knew he was just a, just a simple sailor man. He knew about all of his inadequacies. But he had a secret, didn't he? Yeah, just an ordinary guy... But he was strong to the finish when he ate his spinach. That's right. Jesus said, you follow me and I will make you not who you think you should be. Not even maybe who you've always dreamed of being. Not maybe who you've always longed to be. Jesus said, you follow me and I will make you who you were created to be. I will make you more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that's in work within us. What if? What if the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit really did live in me, work through me, available to me? What if... My task really isn't to change myself, to work harder, 
That my task isn't to fake it till I make it. That my task isn't just to throw in the towel. What if my task really is to just stay connected to Jesus from one moment to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next? One moment at a time, connected to Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that power that's at work within us. And we're going to talk about how that gap really can be closed. And it's not about earning anything. And it's not about deserving anything. It's not about working or trying harder. It's about loving better. Get your hopes up. New Year, 2018. Get your hopes up. Because you were meant for more. Let's stand and sing.